I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Lit Yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and I answer. Starting off with Alter Lotiva. Why does my side hip hurt when doing circles in down dog and how to properly do it? So if your side hip is hurting when you're doing circles in down dog, I'm assuming that your leg, one leg is up in the air. So imagine she's in a down dog and she's got her left leg up. So it's like a three-legged down dog and then you're circling. So the reason why your hip would hurt is that you are circling, unless you have some injury I don't know about, you're circling, it's called circumduction, where the femoral head is inside the acetabulum of the pelvis. So just the ball and socket. And just like imagine, almost like one of those little honeycomb scoopers that has, you know, a little uh, thickening part to the wood where you pull the honey from. And that is spinning around. So when that's spinning around and inside the bowl that it comes in. But so if it's spinning around inside the bowl nicely, it won't hit upon the outer part of the bowl. If your hip is not aligned because your pelvis is tilting. Imagine that little honeycomb is slightly already close to one side of the bowl. So then when you go to move and circle it within that little bowl, you're hitting or scraping the side. Now it's not quite scraping like you're damaging it, but it doesn't feel great because it's not a smooth circle you're running up against what's called some of the articular stuff. You've got cartilage there, you've got um, a labrum, and you've got ligaments and tendons all captured in there. And and essentially you're just squishing them, all right? So you're you're not circling in the center and not making contact with the the outer rim there. 
So the first thing you need to do is have somebody really help you establish a neutral pelvis. One thing that will help is in down dog, bend your knees. Because when your knees are straight in down dog, it will tend to push your pelvis more in one direction or the other. So it might tip it posteriorly, which will also ram the femoral head against the acetabulum in in not the centrated way. It might tip a little bit more anteriorly. So it's like your tailbone's going or your sit bones are going way up. And then when you lift your leg, your femoral head again is not centered. So it's finding that little sweet spot between those two. And that often will require that you walk the feet a little closer to your hands and bend your knees. And if you've been practicing a kind of more traditional style where there's a lot of emphasis on stretching your down dog out and straightening your legs and dropping your heels, you will be more likely to experience that hip hurting that you're talking about. Now, if you're talking about the bottom, the side of the hip that's hurt on the standing leg, then that's a different, that's kind of different, but it could also be because your hip is not centrated. So imagine you're in that down dog, your left leg is up, but now you're talking about your bottom hip, your right hip. So I'm I'm addressing both because I'm not sure by your question which one it is. So if it's your bottom hip that hurts when you're circling the other hip, then you are also not centered in the hip and you might be kind of swinging that hip or sinking into this outer hip on the bottom leg and that won't feel good either. So I'm assuming you're talking about the top leg, but I just wanted to address the bottom leg as well. But both instances, you need to make sure that that femoral head is centered and that it is not, the pelvis doesn't tip one way or another because the pelvis is a bowl that's sitting kind of on top of the femoral head. So if your bowl tips forward, you're hitting the front part of your femoral head. If the bowl tips backward, you might be hitting a little bit more in the back. And that's, you know, that's a kind of reductionist uh, view of it, but that gives you more of an idea of what is happening within the hip itself. So Alter Lotiva also asked, what is foot placement and plank? You need to go to my classes. <laughs> I think I, um, I, I probably addressed some of this stuff in my classes, but foot pace placement and plank, it is, it is a question that a lot of people do ask. Are your feet close? Are they touching? Are they, are they quote, hip width apart or wider? So really you want the natural foot placement to line up with your the center of your hip joint. And the best way to find that is really actually lining it up with your pelvic, front pelvic points, which are called your ASISs. And those tend to be a pretty good um, marker for where your feet should land. Your feet should land underneath that. So say you're in warrior one, your feet are on two separate lines because your ASISs are two separate lines. They don't, you don't stack your feet one behind the other. And so in plank, your feet are not totally touching, but they're not super, they're not as far apart as like the outer hip, for example. They're right in line with that front ASIS. So if you put your hands on the front of your uh, pelvis, you'll find these little bumps there. And those are your ASISs. So the feet would just be in standing pretty much right underneath that. And in plank, it would be the same way. Vanessa Parr does things. Moves for my poor plantar fasciitis. Oh, so plantar fasciitis is a big pain in the ass. And it's such a a bad feeling because it's, you know, every morning you wake up and you're like, okay, is it going to hurt? And then you step on and it's like, ah, screaming pain. So a real real cardinal sign for plantar fasciitis is when you get out of bed 
and you step and there's like excruciating pain in your heel. And the reason that is like the, the very cardinal sign is that overnight you are not mobile, you know, you're not moving around and you certainly, you're not weight bearing. And so any of that restricted fascia that's underneath your foot has probably gotten even kind of it's returned to its restricted state. So as you walk and the day goes on and it warms up a little bit, often plantar fasciitis will feel better because it's getting mobile. It's getting some blood flow and then, and it gets a little stretched out, but then you go back to bed and that inflammation is still present and then the fascia gets uh, kind of shortened. It's not like these are these are not significantly uh, noticeable shortenings, but that really shortening in the term in the sense of the the tissue is more rigid. And then you step on it, and it really feels pretty pretty bad. So what do you do? Well, the first thing is what causes plantar fasciitis. There's there's several things that cause it, and the things that cause it are also going to be the things that will help you get over it and get beyond it and and hopefully get rid of it. So it often has to do with you have ca- your t- your calves are tighter uh th- there's more of a shortening position for the calves. That might mean that like usually this happens plantar fasciitis it doesn't always happen with runners. I've I've seen it happen with people who are working in an office and really inactive. So it can happen if you're really inactive and that just becomes shortened and you're not using your glutes, and you just kind of shuffle along using your calves. But it can also happen with runners who change their surface that they're running on. They're changing the amount of miles they're running. So they change their mileage. um, They change their shoes. But something usually increases and or changes, a variable changes. The underlying suboptimal mechanics will then really reveal themselves. So there's only so long you you can get away with like primarily using your calves and and hamstrings and not having your your glutes help you out. Running on the ball of your feet is kind of a natural position for for sprinters, but if you're not you know strong in your calf muscles, then you're going to tax the plantar fascia. So it's both the the calf muscles can be tight and weak. And the hamstrings can be tight and weak, and the glutes can be just weak. <laughs> so the form, like if you're more tipped in anterior tilt, you're, that can also uh, impact the the foot patterning. So the first thing you have to do is establish a neutral pelvis, just like I was starting to say when in the in the down dog question. Work on warming up your calves before you start running. So do a lot of the heel bops that I do in my classes where you're pressing down into your first metatarsal head, that big toe mound, and lifting and lowering your heels. You could do that first non-weight bearing, just sitting in a chair and lift and lower and lift and lower. So you're just kind of getting blood flow into the area. Then you need to do it when you're standing as well. So you're getting the the spring mechanism of the plantar fascia into the gastrocnemius ready. It's really a, it's like a coiled spring. And so we're readying it. We're getting it ready so you don't just start running and it's not prepared. And then you need to work on mobilizing the the calf. So doing some um, calf stretches. They don't have to be, in my opinion, long holds at all but really working on true ankle dorsiflexion. So what I found with people who 
develop plantar fasciitis, especially runners, is that they are not, they're restricted in ankle dorsiflexion. So the spring load mechanism is limited because they don't have the full range of ankle dorsiflexion. So ankle dorsiflexion, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, is if you were standing with your feet about you know, hip distance apart underneath your ASISs, and you started to squat, hinging at the hips, bending in the knees, and you go as low as you can, where is it that your heel starts to pull up off the floor? And it's hard. It's really hard to get the full dorsiflexion. But for people that have plantar fasciitis, they tend to not go very deep without the heel coming up or the tipping of the pelvis, one of the two things happening. So you need to look, work on the ankle range of motion as well. So kind of bullet points again, ankle range of motion, you need to stretch the calves, but you also need to strengthen them and strengthen the connection of plantar fascia into the calves. And then also work on, with the neutral pelvis, work your glutes because your glutes are powerhouses that will help you in running. Um, they're not, unless you're sprinting again, they're not as involved, but they are players so that you're not just chronically using your hamstrings. And the hamstrings often need to be strengthened as well. Even Like again, they could be tight, but they're probably also on the weak side. So it's a full uh, posterior chain uh, exercise of developing strength and developing good mechanics. Uh, Julie Shore Yoga asks, hey, would love to see some drills to help with hopping both feet forward from down dog. So hopping forward from down dog is... There's a lot of ways to do it. And so some people just think when teachers are cueing and hop forward, they're just going to do it in whatever way they can with the goal of getting their feet as far forward as possible. And the first thing I do when I'm teaching somebody who's asked me specifically, I really want to hop my feet and and most likely they want to hop and get some pike involved. So their pelvis coming over their shoulders. Uh, What I will tell them to do is worry less about where the feet land and more about what the feet are doing. So in your down dog, some of the big drills would be walking the feet a little bit closer from your stretched out down dog and bending the knees and then just starting to rise up. Similar to what I was saying in Vanessa's plantar fasciitis question, doing the heel bops, rise up on the toes and drop, you know, just like, but do it as a, as a, as a kind of springiness, not like a up, down, up, down, just kind of get the feeling of mobilization in the foot. And then start to rise up on your toes. And as you lower the the heel back down, bend the knees. Now taking the coil of the ankle up into the knees and hips as well. Because what we're doing is we're getting a little bit of a coil action to then spring the pelvis up to the ceiling and then the feet will land underneath the pelvis. So that might be that they land halfway up and that's okay. Do that over and over again. You can always land the feet after you've hopped and then take a two extra little uh, miniature steps to get you back to the top of the mat. But really important that you work to from the floor and you push into the floor. Because again, you are a human spring. So hold your core strong, rise on your toes, bend your knees, flex at your hips, get the, the readiness of the coil, and then push 
into the floor and visualize it because visualization is part of motor planning. Um, visualize your hips coming up over your shoulders into a pikeish move and just do that a thousand times, maybe 10,000 times until you find this sweet spot of balance where your pelvis is right over your shoulders and right over your wrist and you get this like hang time and it's really satisfying, but it might take a while. Just do those drills. Those are the drills I would do. Margot Dellum asks for scapular stabilizations. I think what you're asking for is how would you work on scapula stabilizing? Because scapula stabilization is super important. Well, scapula stabilization is first, the first requirement, in my opinion, is to identify what the neutral scapula would, would be and like. So upright posture is so important to examine when you're examining the scap where the scapula are. So when a person is upright, where are the scapula lying? The scapula should be about two to three inches away from midline. The head of the humerus should be kind of centered and not rolling forward. Your neck should be in a good alignment because those three things are essential for where the scapula are going to be. If your head's forward, if your shoulders are rounded, it really impacts the scapula. Then you can work on stabilizing the muscles by just imagining holding the scapula in place. So if you're sitting up on your sit bones right now, get your spine lengthened, get yourself lifted like you were trying to suction up from the sit bones, this like kind of siphoned energy up and get your head back so that you're not, you know, rounding the shoulders and jutting the chin forward. So you're getting into a more optimal position and then become really aware of the placement of the scapula. Lightly squeeze the scapula in toward midline without letting the ribs pop forward. And then from that position, imagine you could really suction the scapula like really suction it onto your back ribs. Those actions are the actions of the scapula stabilizers. They're going to both pull the scapula and hold it into more neutral, and they're going to hold it onto the back ribs. Practice that in every position when your hands are, when your arms are at 90 degrees or below. So in plank position, lowering to the floor, modified plank, all that type things. When the arms go up and they're more flexed, when the shoulders are more flexed, the scapula, you allow the scapula to lift up. So they're going to come from their neutral position and they'll slightly slide out and slide up. And you want to allow that to happen and not fight it. That's a natural position. And then practice the same feeling there, holding the scapula on the back ribs not letting your front ribs sink, not letting the armpit, which is the where the humeral head is, not letting that sink. So that would be like in a down dog, for instance. So practicing how to hold the scapula, a lot of it is actually figuring out where the scapula is in certain motions, like when, you're, when your arm, when your humerus is at 90 degrees or below and holding it there holding it there when you're weight bearing, not letting the scapula kind of just get all wonky and roll out to the side and protract unless you want them to. Actively protracting is going to build strength. But I think the isometric hold of the scapula in neutral is essential for really getting the brain mapping, meaning the understanding for um, a stable scapula on your back. 
So really work on that aspect and and how you're going to get them stable is you have to support them from the front. You've got to hold those ribs really pulled together using your abdominal wall and give the support. Because if you let the ribs droop forward, it really, it's hard to be as stable in the scapula um, muscles as you need to be. So practice that. That's why plank is amazing. Quadruped. So if you don't feel like you've got a lot of planks in you and you lose your form, do quadruped. Get your knees close to your wrist in a um, on all fours so that you aren't inclined to tilt in the pelvis and then find that position of the scapula, lightly pull them together. See what that does to your neck. See what that does to your ribs and practice that over and over again. Start there because that is that's the beginning and the most important part of really getting strong scapula stabilizers. So that's all for today. Thank you for your questions. You can always write me at laura at lityoga, lytyoga.com. You can also find me on my Instagram page and leave me a message there or anytime that I ask for questions, make sure that you send them in. I thank you so much. And as always, I'm pulling for you.